I'll just find, just find more meat in the slaughterhouse. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> Radio Draw. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome, always critically lambasted as it deserves. I am Josh Hadley, and the 3 O is back this week where we also have the Cecil. Yay! And the Peter, although we almost didn't for behind the scenes reasons that were on a stupid technical level. And I do mean stupid, right, Peter? Always technical, stupid difficulties. That's right. But if you guys want to help out a little bit, you want to get a little something for yourself, you go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight we are going to talk about everybody knows all these classic movies. You know, I'm not talking modern classics. We got all these old classics, and everyone, Blade Runner and The Thing and Predator and all this. And a lot of people forget, not, not that they were bombs, well, some of them were, but not that they were bombs, but critics hated a lot of classic movies. The mm. critics just hated some films that are today classics. It's interesting when you look at... Now, sometimes they get reassessed. I know The Big Lebowski is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, and a lot of critics who reviewed it back in 1998 have gone back and reassessed it. Some still don't like the movie. Some, like Mark Kermode, said, while he still is not a fan of the movie, it's way funnier now than it was in 1998. So... Mm. He has changed his opinion on it. So we're going to look at some original reviews of some classic films, such as you guys both like Predator, right? Yeah, yeah. of course. Everybody loves Predator, right? They should. Yeah, they certainly should. Original 1987 review from the LA Times. Predator is an ominous high-tech Stone Age mixture. Ominous because the production is high-tech and the script and its values and mentality are Stone Age. Oh, it's, in the, it's in the bare-bones action-adventure mode that producers Joel Silver and Lawrence Gordon used in The Warriors and The Driver. Chic action fables where nothing, nothing impedes the streamlined flow, neither logic, originality, nor a single naturalistic moment. Sometimes the form works, but in Predator they've hit nada. There's a difference between Walter Hill's minimalism and, and vacuity which is what we get from Jim and John Thomas's screenplay. It's arguably one of the emptiest, feeblest, most derivative scripts ever made as a major studio movie. There's no need to do a Mad Movie magazine parody of this. It's already on the screen, unquote. And where to even start with that? I mean, I mean, the most hilarious punchline there is that they're so fucking wrong. Like, like this became a classic. It, it's, it's, and it's gonna be a classic forever too. Like, the Predator is an iconic character that transcended into action figures, a comic book line, several sequels, and is still considered one of the most like iconic sci-fi alien action creatures of all time, right next to the the xenomorph from Aliens. So wrong. The Christian Science Monitor also added, Arnold Schwarzenegger fights an outer space monster in a third world jungle. The monster never has a chance. Neither does the jungle. Neither does the audience. 
It, it beat the shit out of Arnold. Yeah, it, it killed, like, all of them, except for, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was the whole point of it. It was hunting them. And, you know, for sport, sometimes you wonder when you hear reviews, like, did the critic, like, actually watch the movie or did they just kind of, you know, like, zone out at a certain point? It's one of the only movies where we actually see Arnold get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, he's like... He has no edge over the Predator at any point. It bests him physically and almost strategically until a log falls on its face. Yeah, he kind of sets up a trap and, like, he really, I don't want to say gets lucky, but, like, his training and whatnot just, you know... Ends up one-upping him, and mm-hmm. the you know it's uh it, it's just funny. I mean, Kevin Smith talked about this uh, a while ago when he did uh, Clerks Two. One of the critics, he was there at a screening, and the critic got up and you know yelled, uh, you know, a worst movie I've ever seen in my life. You know, halfway through the movie, and left, and still wrote a review. And he's like, look, you didn't watch, you know, you didn't watch the whole movie. You know, how mm-hmm. can you still review this movie uh, when you didn't see the whole thing? Exactly. And I think with critics in general, you know, there have been movies that I've watched that sucked and I turned it off and I'm like, it's it's rare. I'm like, I won't review it simply because I didn't watch the entire thing. Exactly. Because uh, I feel like, you know, there there's a possibility, hey, maybe it'll win me over, you know, by the end. Who knows? So weirder things have happened. Look at Audition. Mm. You know, Audition is two different movies if you, uh, you know, if you, you don't watch the whole thing. I think that uh, it's silly. It's one of the most iconic villains. It's very cleverly written. The special effects are phenomenal. There's a reason why. Why the movie kind of became the thing that it was for the longest time there was only two movies but people still love talking about the predator i mean there's mm. you know how many people cosplayed as it and how many people were talking about it and now we finally are on our fourth one and we'll see how that goes let's uh let's also add the new york times who called the movie alternately grisly and dull with absolutely no surprises how can something be grisly and dull? And also, yeah. no surprises? How about the fact that, that, you know, it's an alien in the movie, and you don't really know that. I mean, you do if you kind of watch the advertising, but just watching the movie, except for the first shot of the movie, which does, you know, I, I, I think Frankenheimer was against. Really, it's full of surprises, actually. You don't know, I, you don't really know what kind of alien it's going to be, for one. Like, it really is a surprise by the end. Yeah, it was going to be a giant pink Jean-Claude Van Damme, but then, uh, <laughs> but then... Well, it wouldn't uh, have been pink in the final movie, but yes, I know. It would have been like a lizard thing. Yeah, big, a big bug, a big rubbery <laughs> bug. Frankenheimer went, went to the studio and was like, you don't want this. Well, let's move on to the one everyone brings up, John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982, which Roger Ebert called a barf bag movie. Other reviews of it were, hell of an antidote to E.T. If you wanted something good, you would watch E.T. If you want the opposite of good, you watch The Thing. The film sacrifices everything at the altar of gore. Sadly, John Carpenter blows it. Or It's not even that gory. The Thing is almost single-mindedly determined to keep you awake and yet almost puts you to sleep. I get it. This coming out right after E.T. might have been bad timing. Did none of you see how good this movie was? Well, the the thing is, too... As is with looking back on history, nobody knew that E.T. was going to be the juggernaut that it was. Like, every movie that comes out, they're always hoping, you know, it's going to be big or that it's going to be huge. Nobody is expecting a movie like E.T. Like, E.T., it just kind of came out and became a thing. Mm -hmm. So, by them releasing, the, you know, The Thing near E.T., 
they didn't know that E.T. was going to become this, like, iconic moment in time. So, and that was what everybody wanted. They wanted the friendly alien. They didn't want the uh, the violent alien. I remember this had to be really, really rough. Carpenter was a big fan of uh, the original The Thing, which was based off of uh, Who Goes There. He had loved that. He used to stay up at night and watch it as a kid. And when he made his version, he kind of had elements of that in his mind and how much he loved it. And then they asked the director of the original and he just bashes the thing and i i'm paraphrasing i don't remember his exact quote but it was something like if you want that much meat go to the slaughterhouse and wow. was you know saying how it was awful and violent and this that and the other thing and that had really kind of like oh god the, the guy who i you know i loved i watched his stuff is bad mouthing my movie that just really sucks and it took a long time for the thing to really come around because this is in the day when a movie would hit theaters and it wouldn't be on video for years. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't until the movie hit video and cable and everything that people started watching it and being like, hey, wait a minute. This is like amazing. This is like one of the best movies ever made. What are you talking yeah. about? People are lambasting it because it has it had violence in it. It was rated R. yourself. Well, then let's move on to what is arguably one of the biggest science fiction classics of not just the 80s, but today, Blade Runner. Man, nobody liked this back then. Now, leave all the alternate cuts and everything out because we're talking the original 1982 theatrical release. It was called, Roger Ebert called it, nothing more than science fiction pornography. All sensation, no heart. Blade Runner has its own look and feel and its own place in history. It's too bad they didn't bother writing the movie. This is, I mean, among other reasons, this is why I've never really given much of a toss about Ebert or or Siskel. What do they really fucking know, if you think about it? And for the most part, throughout their entire career, they've done nothing but contradict themselves. I'm glad that fucker got face cancer. You can go ahead and leave that in. <laughs> that th- Those dudes pretty much invented doxing anyway, so fuck them. Yeah, that, that's what always bugged me. That's why I did that in my video for, uh, for graduation Silent day. Night. Graduation day, but in, I touched on it in Silent Night, Deadly Night. But the whole thing was like, it was like, hey, women, you know, uh, how dare they, they get, uh, exploited in films. But here's this woman who was in a movie we don't like. Here's her home address. Send her hate mail. It's like, what? What are you talking about? And then with the Silent Night, Deadly Night, that was, they gave the name of like the, the addresses of the producers and everything. Yeah. It's like, how, what, what are you talking? Like, can you not see that you're being the baddies here? Like, this is not, like, it's one thing to dislike something. It's another thing to be like, hey, I dislike something. You should dislike this too. Here Here's where you can direct all of your hate towards, and not towards the company, towards, like, the individuals that work Mm. for the company. Like, that is just majorly wrong. I think it's ridiculous when, like, I understand that, yes, they did do a lot for mainstreaming critics. But at the same time, they also did a lot of bad. They had their biases. They didn't like horror. And they would... Unless it was Halloween. Well, that's the thing. They would go through all kinds of mental gymnastics to call something that wasn't horror, or something that was horror, not horror. Cecil, Silence of the Lambs, according to them, is not horror. It's a, it's the a Lambs thriller. Is a fucking slasher film. Yeah, yeah. But, but but not to them. It's it's better it's than all thriller. those Friday the 13th, it's because this is a thriller. Halloween yeah, is a thriller. F*** 
you. God, I hate them. Yeah, that's whenever whenever they can't they don't want to call something horror, so they call it a thriller because somehow that you know makes it okay. I'm pretty and, sure they're they're what eventually shaped the Academy for how they would pick what movies to give awards to and stuff, and and the reason why there's a stigma mostly for horror movies where they don't want to call something that's clearly horror a horror film. Like they did that with they did it with Get Out. They wanted to give it a comedy award. They wanted to give Silence of the Lambs the thriller award, and it's like no, they're horror. Horror films. There's nothing wrong with with calling it what it is. Yeah, True, but I but, mean, there's but, such a bad stigma that goes along with it, you know, largely because of critics like Cisco yes, and Bert. Exactly, that's, it's their fault. But but when mm-hmm. swing it back to Blade Runner, because that's not our topic. Oh right, well, but but Blade Runner, I think it's ridiculous. Here's a movie that here we are decades later, and people are still decoding it and pointing out nuance and subtlety and storytelling devices and all kinds of uh, things here and there that that just make it the brilliant movie that it is and for them to say like there's no story and have you ever heard of like visual storytelling it's like yes there was storytelling but there was also a lot of things that were very subtle things that were shown you know the whole show me don't tell me and that was mm. one of the problems that I had with the with uh, 2049 I thought show me uh, I thought it was a lot more you know tell me don't show me it was a lot more like here here is all of this and it's like no like you're you're kind of missing a lot of what was the beauty of the original and uh, i thought they they kind of had the look down and a little bit of the feel but i thought that was a little too full of itself and it like i mean i also hold the, the first up to you know just godlike regard it is just an incredible movie funny when you hear people that are just it's one thing to say okay i didn't like it or but uh when you're when you're saying there was no story there or whatnot then you just were not paying attention no clearly not also science fiction pornography what the f- does that even mean I guess it's kind of like I guess it's kind of like torture porn, uh, which I hate the title. Yeah, but, uh, it's like a go-to critique that a lot of critics have, where if they don't like something, oh, this is destruction porn, oh, this is torture porn. Maybe you should um spruce up your your uh, vocabulary a little bit there, dum dum. Okay, well now earlier I mentioned the Big Lebowski, which is on its twenty year. Let's look at some reviews of the Big Lebowski, a film I adore. I just went mm. and saw the, the oh, re-release a few weeks ago. I think it's. I'm not saying I dislike the Coen brothers movies but it's with it's leaps and above the best coen brothers film critics in 1998 didn't agree for instance alex ross of slate the trouble starts with the plot the great flaw in most of the coen's work is surprisingly an inability to sustain a plot over a two-hour span in lebowski we lose track not only of plot devices but of whole characters who come and go without finding a reason to be john Turturro is wasted as a bowler named jesus a convicted pedophile in spandex he is an amazing creation but he has no function as does this film david denby from new york magazine the big lebowski is an off-kilter thriller with a sad sack hero the dude shuffles through life in a fumy pothead haze he's so slack-brained he can't finish a sentence bridges and goodman stumble through far too many superfluous adventures together it's only amusing the first time the dude gets lost in his own story what's the point of scoring off morons who think they are cool jeff bridges has so much dedication as an actor that he sacrifices himself to the coen brothers self-deflating conception even bridges can't open up a character who remains unconscious Edward Guffman of the San Francisco Chronicle. Although some of its parts are brilliantly executed and played by a terrific cast, 
past, the result is scattered, over-amplified, and unsatisfying. The Coens have a grand time establishing Bridges' character in the bowling alley scenes they've written for the dude and his buddies, a loose cannon Vietnam vet played by Goodman and a nearly wordless dunce played by Steve Buscemi, are pure gold. I would have been happier hanging out in the bowling alley for the whole picture. The Big Lebowski is ultimately too clever for its own good. There are more ideas what? here, more wacko side characters and plot and pro and plot curlances than the film could support, and inevitably it deflates from having too much to shoulder from having to shoulder too much. Unquote. Too so, clever for its own good. So basically, are they out of their fucking minds? I, t- I take so it you comp- disagree. It's like a backhanded compliment. This is too smart for me. Well, then obviously you're the idiot here. If it was too smart for you, you're the moron, and you're the one that needs to piss off. And I, I do want to point out, in all fairness, all three of the critics I just read those 1998 reviews from have reversed themselves and now love The Big Lebowski. Of course they have. Some, sometimes time does tell. In that case, a lot of these two, it's like trying to do a little bit of revisionist history. They didn't, they didn't get it at the time, but now that the, the film has found its audience and proven to be good, they're, oh no, I, it's, it is really good. I just, so that kind of like, I mean, yes, people can change their opinion over time. People maybe can see things and like, oh, well, you know, I, I was, uh, I was in a bad mood or I wasn't, uh, you know, fully into this at the time. When you get something like that, they're just outright lambasting it at the time and then coming back years later and saying how it's this uh you know misunderstood genius and all that it's just you know it's also now after the coen brothers have won oscars and uh that they're they're backpedaling so uh, i just think that a lot of that is bogus uh the big lebowski was a movie that uh i i enjoyed it the first time i saw it and then i enjoyed it more the second time i saw it because i like i i liked it and then like once you kind of see what the movie's going for then you enjoy it even more i kind of like how a movie like super troopers i think just continues to get funnier Mm -hmm. like the more you see it whereas a lot of comedies they get less funny when you see it so i enjoyed that more uh the more i saw it it's just it's a very it's a very unique film it's a very coen brothers film and it's definitely one of my favorites if not my favorite from them go to what is considered one of the all-time classics and i do mean all time citizen kane now this one i'll get into the politics of it we got a couple of more later on that politics might be involved in their bad reviews but citizen kane was called an all-american triumph of style over substance or the film's lack of emotional depth and and shallow characterization are empty metaphors for today or a total bore the performances are worthless the photography is quite good but it's nothing to write to moscow about the acting is middling and the whole thing is a little dull and this this i love mr wells highbrow direction is of that super clever order which prevents you from seeing that with which is being directed is all about unquote didn't that last one just say i didn't get it so therefore it sucks pretty much pretty much yeah now the politics might be because you know this was a movie ostensibly about hearst and hearst controlled most of the media at that time with all the newspapers and radio stations it's come out i mean this is not a conspiracy theory hearst basically told all of his people this film bombs you make sure it goes away so a lot of the negative reviews in this case might be the critics were told you are to pan this film so i i don't know if that falls into the same they couldn't see what was in front of them or if they were trying to keep their jobs it it could be um a mix of both i mean anytime a movie comes out that's basically criticizing the status quo you're going to have people that want to make it go away 
Citizen Kane was a movie. It was weird because um, it it came out long before uh, I was born, and uh, I didn't see it until like way later. I unfortunately had already known the whole Rosebud thing going in. I already had the big twist revealed, and uh, so that kind of took part of it away for me. But uh, I still enjoyed it for like I could see the influence there. I could see how oh my god, this movie was revolutionary, and uh, you know would be uh should be considered a big deal that it is and i think that it's it's weird uh how it w- how i guess because it was so different that uh you know critics just really didn't have anything to compare it to and just didn't have any uh way to wrap their brain around what was going on what was happening and it's frustrating when you see a movie like that every now and then a movie like that will come out and it's funny when uh i'm like oh my god i was blown away by how this movie was and then you see the critics and they're oh, it was just too far removed from it's like you know open your freaking brain you people like understand everything doesn't have to be a carbon copy of everything else Mm -hmm. and uh you know when when somebody is trying something different sometimes it doesn't work but when it does work it works and it works amazingly i think that that's very weird and it's kind of uh i guess in the end you know orson welles kind of won the test of time because uh the movie is is frequently cited as the best movie ever made Let's go with another movie that may have bombed with critics due to politics in a, in a different sort of way, and that's the original 1960 Psycho. Pete, you know, Cecil, we weren't on the episode, but Pete, we did that whole Psycho retrospective. I mm-hmm. love the film, and I know you do too. It's fantastic. Even the second and third film are quite solid. Well, nobody in 1960 thought so. Now, again, uh, I'm gonna, the, the, the political side of this is no one wanted Hitchcock to make this movie. Nobody wanted to give him money for this movie. And then as we talked about in the retrospective, it, you know, made a ton of money. Hitchcock burned so many of his bridges in Hollywood to get this movie made. So that's why some people say critics at the time were so brutal to the movie, calling it, quote, plainly a gimmick movie or a blot on an otherwise honorable career or that the film has not an abundant not an abundance of subtlety an obvious low budget job things like that i don't know if that was they were mad at him because hitchcock should not have been making this movie or if they genuinely hated it but critics did not like psycho how was it even gimmicky if Stuff like that hadn't even really been being made yet. Like, what kind of criticism is that? It's gimmicky. Gimmicky to what? No, a William Castle movie is gimmicky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. William Castle, kind of, his whole thing was gimmick. And I'm not bad-mouthing him. I'm just saying that was, that was his, his shtick was gimmick. Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that is ludicrous. Like, I was talking with somebody about something the other day. They were talking about how, oh, this was so cliche. And I'm like, nothing like this has ever been done before. Like, <laughs> you have to be, you have to do something a few times before it can become a cliche. Exactly. Like, it has to be a film that establishes the cliche. Exactly. And, oh, God, I wish I could remember what I was, but it's just, it's, it's hilarious when something like that is gimmicky. How is it gimmicky? Like, what was gimmicky about that? It was, it was, again, it was another film that was revolutionary. It's a film that people are still talking about today. It's a film that even though uh, Gus Van Sant did it shot for shot, with the exception of uh, the Vince Vaughn jerk... Vince Vaughn jerking off, but I mean, everything else was shot for shot, and he could, you know, and he did that to see if you could, it was actually an experiment, I kind of, I kind of like and dislike that he did with it, but I understand it was, you know, he wanted to see if you could recapture that magic, and he proved that, no, you can't. No, you can't, no. So, 
but it's it's a movie that will uh, will be dissected and will be referenced and will be shown as one of the great movie reveals of all time. It is mm. uh, it's just a fantastically shot movie. It's done well. It's paced well. The the script is is on point. Everything about it is great, and uh, it's just funny that uh, they would say it's gimmicky. Now, I per- I particularly am not a fan of The Wizard of Oz, but The Wizard of Oz was called, The New Yorker called it a stinkeroo. Another reviewer said it displays no trace of imagination, good taste, or ingenuity. <laughs> now, even as someone who does not like The Wizard of Oz, imagination is not something that movie's lacking. <laughs> mm-hmm. I might not like the movie, but it's an imaginative as f- movie. It is. I, yeah, I, I, I am kind of, it's not that I'm indifferent on The Wizard of Oz. I think that it's just, I used to, I had a friend of mine who it was his, his girlfriend's, like, who eventually became his wife. It was like her favorite movie. And so it was just on, like, whenever I'd go hang out, it was just on all the time. And I kind of just got sick of it. So it's not through the fault of the film itself. It's just the fault of the environment I was in where I was just like inundated with the freaking movie. It's, it's ingenious. Like, I mean, the whole going from black and white to color and the entire lot of the film, it is like insanely creative. It is. Like, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that anyone could call it. I could, I could see people saying I don't like it. I could see people saying that, uh, you know, maybe it was a little, uh, I wouldn't even, well, I guess borderline, you could maybe say that it was boring. To say either that it was ugly or that it wasn't engaging in some way, shape, or form is insane. Oh, it's, it's Especially a back then. Film. Especially back then. There's yeah. nothing like that that happened before. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a safe film to revisit. And I think a, a lot of people obviously consider it to be a classic because it is one. To say that it lacks creativity is just, that just sounds like being negative for the sake of it. Like really, really grasping for straws. Well, let's go to a more modern classic, 1999's Fight Club. Roger Ebert called it a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy, the kind yeah, of ride of where, some, where some people puke and others can't wait to get on. The New, York, the New York Daily News called it hardly groundbreaking in any way, a bit of a dud, and that its chic indictment of empty materialist values fizzles, or Entertainment Weekly wrote, if, as Fincher has said, this movie is supposed to be funny, then the joke's actually on us. Unquote. Sorry, but Fight Club is is a genius movie, so screw all of you. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, really, what else do you do you say about it? It was such such a explosion as far as uh, pop culture and stuff goes at that time, and very inventive filmmaking, brilliant performances just across the board from everybody in that film. People who disliked it, fine, it wasn't your thing. If you think it was a, a commentary on like some people, there are people that think it's a sexist film, that it's misogynistic, that it's all this stuff. No, it's a commentary on toxic culture. It's a commentary on how bad it is to become that kind of a man. It, are people forgetting that Ed Norton is the fucking main character, that it's not, Brad Pitt is not the hero of this film? Like, it's, it's astoundingly stupid to me that people find these reasons to be like, oh, it's just such a vile film. Maybe you should actually watch it and pay attention to it. I think the people who will say stuff like that are people who uh, didn't get the film that are, are only looking at it from the violence perspective. They saw the trailer 
and made up in their mind what the movie was going to be. But the movie ended up being an incredibly subversive piece of art where it wasn't about the fighting. It was really about Edward Norton and his kind of overcoming everything and the, the taking down the establishment and changing the way that people think. I mean, that was one of the, the major things. It's like, you know, you never know you you don't realize something about yourself until you are in a fight until you're in that fight or flight moment and that's why they made them go out and fight with people to to kind of you know and then you know to to intentionally lose and there were there was so many things there's so many layers to the film there are a lot of people that just they see it as the violence and uh the little bit of sex that was in there but they see that and they don't see the actual story that's there and it's just, it's infuriating, especially when you have somebody as big uh, as Siskel and Ebert, where they just, they don't get it. Talk about not getting it. Now, I get it. This next movie is not for everyone. But to me, it's a holiday classic, and that is Scrooged. I think Scrooged is brilliant. Critics did not agree. For instance, Variety called Scrooged up an appallingly unfunny comedy. USA Today called it a monumental mess. The LA Times, it, I actually kind of like their review though. The LA Times said that Scrooged is as funny as a mugging. I think that's kind of unique. They added that the plot is nothing short of a complete mess. I'm sorry, I think Scrooged is hilarious. I, I think Scrooged is a brilliant satire on both not only holiday nostalgia, but also on that kind of family-friendly vibe. It really took a dark edge without getting mean. Well, it was a little bit mean, but without getting too dark with it. I saw this when I was a kid, when it was in theaters. It's edgy without being going Eli Roth levels. Scrooged uh, was a movie that uh, I didn't like the first time I saw it, but uh, I, I was in a bad place at the time. <laughs> and I watched it again, and I really did like it, uh, largely because of um, Bill Murray's performance. It's uh, He was just really, really on point. And uh, I think I was kind of, when I first saw it, I was expecting something else. And I didn't go around bad-mouthing it, saying that it was bad. It was just I saw it, and I didn't quite get it. And I was like, eh, I want to come back to this. I think that it's, it's funny. It's a clever retelling of the Christmas Carol. The amount of actors in it uh, are, is just phenomenal. I mean, the talent behind it is is on point. Uh, it's a really good movie. I've always liked Scrooged. Um, I used to watch it a lot during the Christmas season when I was a kid, and I still enjoy it. I would I would consider it to be easily to be easily one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. I really like the the practicals in them done with the the ghosts of Christmas past that show up in them. It's it's funny. It does take a, cu a couple of dark turns. I I've honestly really enjoyed it and always thought it was a genuinely good film. I'm surprised that it wasn't well received. Well, how about one of the greatest horror classics of all time, The Exorcist? For instance, like Rolling Stone called it nothing more than a religious porn film. There, we're back to that angle again. Oh, jeez. The New York Times called it a chunk of, of elegant occultist claptrap, a practically impossible film to sit through. It establishes a new low for a grotesque special effects. Um, impossible film to sit through. These, these fuckers have not seen Garden of the Dead. <laughs> The Village Voice said, Friedkin's biggest weakness is his inability to provide enough visual information about his characters. Whole passages of the movie's exposition were one long buzz of small talk and name droppings. The Exorcist succeeds on one level as an effectively excruciating entertainment, but on another, deeper level, it is a thoroughly evil film. Well, of course it is. It's a horror film about Satan. Yeah, it kind of... that That's kind of the thing. It was... <laughs> 
it was about an exorcism in the, <laughs> like, like what? That, that just, that, that blows my mind. That is hilarious when, that uh, might when they, be the stupidest critique ever. It's an evil film. Well, yeah. E- yes. <laughs> it is an evil film. It is about a girl who's possessed by, well, you know, not the devil, but a devil. Yeah. And, and the priests are there to, like, uh, like, can they not, can they not see past their own bias and actually, you know, give a horror film a shot? Like, oh, th- j- I mean, j- just wait till we get to our next one. And yeah, you're going to be mad. Let's go to Alien. The New York Times. Oh my God. The New York Times review actually offends me. Quote, don't race to it expecting the wit of Star Wars or the metaphysical pretensions of 2001 or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. First of all, the wit of Star Wars, and then, (laughs) you know, the the high-end, highfalutins, hoity-toity 2001 and Close Encounters, that mainly bore fest? Yeah, aliens got nothing on them. No, no, of course not. But the Guardians review, quote, you won't see anything original anywhere in this film, unquote. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my god. One of the most original films in history. Yes, Still because everyone was expecting an alien to come bursting out of the... Di- like, when when you first see the alien facehugger, you think like, oh, that's it. And then the thing comes ripping out of uh, Dallas's chest. Was it Dallas? Kane. Uh, Kane, thank you. Kane, comes, yeah, Kane. Comes out of Kane's chest. Da- Dallas was... um was uh, uh, Captain, I believe. Yeah, comes out of it. Like, yes, everyone was expecting that. Even the cast was not expecting that because they didn't tell them what was going to happen. Like, to get genuine surprise. Like, no one saw that coming. The whole, the whole thing, one of the beauty, beauties of Alien is that they're not, they're not starfighters. They're not military guys. They're not badasses. This is just like truckers, essentially. Yeah. That are hauling gear and they're doing, uh, you know, just, just, bl- you know, blue collar space work and they get wrapped up in this thing that is, you know, they're, they're not trained to deal with this kind of thing and they figure out a way to overcome it. And it's, it's beautiful because of that. I mean, you know, we get the military aspect of it, uh, in aliens, but with this, it's just, they are, you know, they're space truckers. Beautiful because it's so different from, you know, from Star Wars and all these other space movies that we've had before. Alien is one of the greatest movies ever made, period. Whoever said that, it, <laughs> nothing of it. Every f***ing horror science fiction movie after Alien was trying to be Alien. Like, that that's the simplest way that I can put it. Everything, even to this day, is trying to be Alien or Predator. Both of those. I, I seriously would like to ask the, the guy who reviewed that, like, okay, nothing was original. Tell me where, like, each, what did they take all of this from? Like, if this is, if none of this is original, then what are they cribbing from? Exactly. Now, let's go to a movie that, again, this one, I can see how it divides people, but some of these reviews still. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. 
The San Francisco Chronicle called it disappointing, pointless, and repetitive. Uh Variety said it was hard to imagine any segment of the public embracing this off-putting, unrewarding slog through the depths of drug culture. Roger Ebert said it's a (laughs) one-joke movie, and it's still looking for that joke. The Washington Post said it's it's like watching this movie is being is like being forced to listen to bad heavy metal music turned up to eleven while fat guys in Bermuda shorts compete in a puking contest in the john. You know, one thing I'm noticing as a pattern in every single one of these critiques and reviews is that they are so pathetically puritanical. It's always like if there's drug use involved, shame it. If there's a little bit of violence, shame it. Like it just said, heavy metal or all any anything that reminds them of something that is or evil, satanic or whatever. It's this is so this is so out of the borders of my comfort zone. Well, yeah, it's because you're a pussy. Simple as that. They're so embedded into their their pathetic little comfort zones, and they never want to let anything else distract them from everything that they're told to like. It's it's such a and, and there's still people like that, like very very glad handed little puritanical people that that don't want to be not even necessarily challenged by something but aren't letting themselves enjoy different things would you say some of these critics are grocery clerks being sent to collect a bill (laughs) (laughs) we're going to move on to apocalypse now time magazine for instance said while much of the footage is breathtaking apocalypse now is emotionally obtuse and intellectually empty excuse me um not the apocalypse now i saw I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, like how, like really? Intellectually, intellectually empty and emotionally obtuse. Why doesn't he you know, just tell the truth and say, I didn't get it because I'm stupid? I, see, when I, when I see a review like that, I also would like to know, like, what are some of their favorite movies as, yeah. like, a comparison. Where you can be like, okay, this guy either just doesn't like this kind of movie, or this guy is just a complete moron. And uh, I'm probably going to err in, in thinking that this guy is probably just a complete moron. Like, how oh, yeah. do you not sit down? Like, I saw Apocalypse Now when I was, like, too young to understand it. And I still, like, was like, oh my god, there's a lot going on here. Like, it's not intellectually obtuse. It's like, if anything, it's it's the exact opposite of that. I can't necessarily disagree with the first part of this review, but I but I also want to point out to the reviewer in the New York Times about Scarface, that's the point of the movie. They called Scarface a relentlessly bitter, satirical tale of greed in which all supposedly decent emotions are, are sent up for possible ways in which they can be perverted. I can't disagree with that review, but that's the f***ing point of the film! So, uh, yeah. yes! Exactly. Yeah. He's not the good guy. <laughs> exactly. It seems like the New York Times went into this thinking, Tony Montana going to be a good guy in this movie. There uh, are, no. he's not. There are a lot of movies where they'll say, you know, there's, there's no one to root for, or there's no one good in this. And it's like, exactly. Because there's no good guy and there's no one to root for. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it is telling a story. Sometimes in a story, you're not really supposed to root for somebody. You're not supposed to identify with somebody. You're supposed to sit back and watch the story that's being told. Like, that was a big thing. That was what uh, Ebert said with uh with human centipede was that uh it's a it's a film where uh it exists in a world where no light shines there's no one to root for and it's like it's telling a tale of a psychopathic doctor who is who's got this like 
Frankenstein's monster in his mind and he tortures the hell out of these three poor people. You feel bad for them and then you feel bad for everybody. It's like it's it's not a movie that's really supposed to make you feel good. It's a movie mm-hmm. that's meant to make you feel bad. And, and Scarface, Scarface, his review is not wrong. It's just he took it wrong because everything he said in there is all in Scarface. But again, that's the point of Scarface. So I can't even say the New York Times reviewed it poorly. They just didn't get it. They just didn't like or get it. I mean, and that's fair. Scarface is a really, really intense film. But you have to look at it from the from the perspective that this is a guy who really let like power and money go to his head. Like he went he went crazy. And he pays for it at the end. That's that's the whole thing that don't understand it. You have rappers that like idolize Scarface and stuff like, yeah, I want to live that life. It's like, no, no, you don't. Like being Scarface is awful. You lose all your friends and you get your your whole fucking chest and ribcage blown out. You fall into whatever he fell into at the end. Peter, Peter, Peter. They always cut off the last ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they always, the last 10 minutes don't exist for people who idolize Tony Montana. Of course. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of modern film, the silent era. The New York Times said this about Metropolis, one of the most visually breathtaking and deep films ever made up, up to that point. It is a technical marvel with feet of clay, a picture as soulless as the manufactured woman of its story. Its scenes bristle with cinematic imagination with hordes of men and women and astounding stage settings. It is hardly a film to be judged by its narrative, though, for despite the fantastic nature of the story, it is, on the whole, unconvincing, lacking in suspense, and at times extravagantly theatric, and most of all, boring so this is not a new phenomena metropolis for sake <laughs> yeah. one of the most like inventive groundbreaking films of all time it just shows that a lot of these critics feared change they didn't yeah. want the status quo to be shaken up they wanted to live in their in their little bubbles i mean I, i'm sure i'll get shit for this but i think that's why so many marvel films get like just good just amazing ratings best mo- you know is because they're all the same movie and they don't like try they, anything different they've got people their can, formula down people can say what they will about the the dc films or about Zack snyder or whatever you know what he's trying something different they, they don't feel like your average superhero film you know man of steel was different batman versus superman was different you like it you don't like it fine but it wasn't placating to the marvel formula it wanted to be something else it's just they're they're you know they are trying something different and this isn't you know me me trying i mean I, yes i love dc i think that uh the the marvel movies and i've loved i mean hell i put avengers in my top 10 of what 2012 yeah, yeah most of them it. are really fun i enjoyed well, I, the hell out of infinity war with a lot of the like single films the you know ant-man doctor strange they've got a formula they do. And they just stick to the formula. Villain of the week, quirky jokes, like almost the same brand of characters, almost the same brand of, of pacing. And it really does feel like you're watching the exact same film over and over again, with the exception of a few, like like Winter Soldier. But with Metropolis, Metropolis was so not just visually groundbreaking, but the story was all about breaking free from from being everyone else, from being just like everything else. Yeah. In the New York Times, it was like, okay, this is stupid. So we're going to end on what is arguably, I don't agree with it being the greatest sequel of all time, but it's generally called the greatest sequel of all time, Godfather 2, Vincent Canby's infamous review. 
The only remarkable thing about Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather Part Two is the insistent manner in which it recalls how much better his original film was. It's a Frankenstein's monster stitched together from leftover parts. It talks. It, It moves. It moves in fits and starts, but it has no mind of its own. Occasionally, it repeats a point made in The Godfather, but its insights are fairly lame at this point. The Godfather Part Two, which opened yesterday at five theaters, is not very far along before one realizes that it it hasn't anything more to say. Everything of any interest was thoroughly covered in the original film, but like many people who have nothing to say, Part Two just won't shut up. Not the least of its problems is its fractured form. Part two moves continually back and forth in time between two distinct narratives. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that makes it unique, you dick. <laughs> it's it's called emotional parallaxing, where yeah. you're contrasting one thing that's happening now to something that happened at an earlier time in that character's life. It's called filmmaking. It's it's almost like they can't comprehend more than one story being told in a movie. You know, this guy was growing up and was going through a lot of troubles, but now that he's older, he's kind of he's kind of become evil. And it's like they're they're not being able to to, to differentiate between, <laughs> well, this is kind of what caused this later stuff to happen. It, it, I think so many, uh, so many of the, the critics are just, are just idiots. Like that's why a lot of times you go to Rotten Tomatoes or something and you're like, some piece of garbage movie will have like a fresh rating and then some really clever, cool movie that is trying new things and is different will get like a 30%. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's why I just, I don't, I stopped listening to critics a long time ago. I have a couple of, uh, people who I'll watch out of curiosity, but even then, uh, no, nah, I don't agree with that. And then I, I see something and I'm like, all right, you know, I agree with what they, they had a point or I end up liking it and still end up disagreeing with them. And yeah. I think it's just, uh, it's just dumb. And although I will say that I think we can all agree on what really is the best sequel of all time. Break into Electric Boogaloo. Oh, I was going to say Guyver 2 Dark Hero. Ah, yes. Also greatest <laughs> sequel ever made. <laughs> well, okay. Th- then the, the final question will be then, okay, we're looking at all of these movies that are now classics and, ground- and seen as groundbreaking, but weren't at the time. Do you think that'll be done with the movies that are coming out today? I'm actually a little frightened that at some point, grown-ups or Transformers or something like that is going to be considered a game changer or look back at and go, all those critics are wrong. Look, that's, no, you're wrong about that because these movies you just listed, the Transformers ones and Grown Ups, these are not only critically panned, but they're audience panned. Nobody that I know likes the Transformers movies, at least for the majority. Same with Grown Ups. Everybody makes fun of these movies. Whereas if you look at Blade Runner, Predator, Alien, The Thing, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Big Lebowski, all these movies, Audiences loved it. People, it, they immediately, a lot of people immediately latched onto it and really enjoyed it. I think that, that shows the sign of an eventual cult, cult classic. Even something like Batman versus Superman is going to be a cult classic. I mean, critically panned, yes. It's, it's had some, some naysayers and whatnot, but there is a large community of people who love it. That's going to end up becoming a, a forgotten classic or cult classic or whatever. Movies like that will. Absolutely. Man of Steel, most likely. But when you talk about like Transformers and Grown Ups, Fucking nobody likes those. Like they're the Transformers movies are even now starting to dwindle in popularity in China, where they were making most of their money. But even even there, they don't they don't give a fuck anymore. Like they're just going to be forgotten cash in blockbusters. That's that's really all they are. And Grown Ups is just a, a bunch of 
now boring comedians getting together to make a paycheck and everybody knows it. So I, I think so are your, you trying to your, tell your me, fear can be put to rest. Are you trying to tell me that Jack and Jill will not get a critical reassessment in 20 years like the big Lebowski did? <laughs> oh, oh, of course it won't. <laughs> Absolutely not. One of the very few movies that I've turned off. It's oh, That is a movie that really is as bad as you think it is. Like, there's a lot of movies where you're like, ah, oh, this stinks. And then you're like, ah, you know what? It wasn't as bad. No, that's really as bad as, as, as you think. It's actually, it might even be worse than you think it is. And this is coming from somebody who I enjoy Adam Sandler's movies to a certain degree. I think after he started doing like the family movies, it really like, you know, his, he got a little, he kind of got Eddie Murphy'd and he was being too safe with his comedy. I, I just think that, yeah, that, no, I think that is not really going to be reassessed. I mean, no. who knows? Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, in 20 years, people will do like a, a, a sort of whoever the next red letter media is. will look at that the way that they did with, uh, Freddie got fingered, but, uh, <laughs> It's, I, I actually hope there is no no next Red Letter Media because those guys are fucking terrible. I think the Red Letter Media guys are the very definition of film snobs. But we're film we're snobs. In, well, yeah. We kind of are. We're cinema I'm, snobs. I am I am not that snobby. But really. what I was going to, to say as far as the, the Jack and Jill stuff goes, that there are movies that do literally just stay in kind of forgotten territory. Like, like did... Did Stopper My Mom Will Shoot ever really become a cult classic? No. People still look at it as, like, Stallone's worst movie. So I'm pretty sure we're safe. Leonard Part 6. <laughs> I think if you did a Leonard Part 6 review, it would be like a sleeping pill. <laughs> so on that note, if people want to critic at Cecil, where would they do so? Uh, you can do that at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And where can Peter be giving off revisionist history like a lot of these critics have? <laughs> revisionist history? No, no. When I like something, I like it. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Cinematica on Facebook, The Cinemasochist on YouTube, Cinemasochist1201beyond.com, uh, where there are shorts for not only my stuff, but also many of the other fine programming that is showcased over at 1201beyond.com. And of course, donate to my Patreon at Zenomatica. I can't guarantee whether your money will actually stay or whether it will be declined by those f***s, but give an attempt to it if you would like to donate to the show. And criticize me all you like. I used to be put off, put off by it before, but now I only have one feeling and it's ironclad. You can't hurt my one feeling. You can't hurt me, but you can contact me at 1201beyond at gmail.com or go to 1201beyond.com. You can also help by donating to the Patreon. I really, if you can't tell, we need new equipment. We need new mics and computers and whatnot, so help us out. I at least but, need a better mic, or at least one that my laptop is going to pick up better. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety or surprise The end I'll never look into your
seven miles Ride the snake He's old And his skin is cold The West is the best The West is the best Get here and we'll do the rest
Radio Drum is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.